The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Let's read from the scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. Let's pray. Our kind Father in heaven, Thank you so much for this opportunity to worship you, to show our love, and to gather together in your house. Please help our hearts to be open. Help us to receive a testimony of your son, Jesus Christ, and his saving grace, his sacrifice for us. Bless those who aren't here, that they might be awakened to you, that they might feel the love and the fellowship that we feel here. Bless those that aren't here today that they might be able to rejoin us another Sunday. We pray that you would pour out your spirit, that you pour out your spirit always. Help us to accept it, to open our hearts, to receive your spirit, to love you back the way you have loved us for all eternity. And we ask for these blessings in the name of our beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We are in a verse-by-verse uh, -verse study through the book of 1 Peter, and we're calling this series Lessons for Living as Misfits, because the Apostle Peter is writing believers who essentially feel like this very thing. They feel like misfits. These are first century Christians who are scattered throughout northern Asia Minor in these Roman provinces, and they're feeling the tension of what it means to be in the world but not of the world. The people who surround them have different values and different behaviors than what they are supposed to have as Christians. And so they're experiencing persecution because of their faith and many other tensions because they are exiles, they are misfits. And today, you and I, we live in what is arguably a post-Christian culture. The majority of people that we rub shoulders with on a day-to-day -day basis, they are not true believers. They don't have the same values as Christians are supposed to have. And how many know they have quite different behaviors than what Christians are supposed to have? And so this letter is so helpful to us because in this day and age, if you are really living your faith out according to the Bible, you will feel like a misfit. If you never feel like that in this country, you might check your faith. You might check your walk. 
Now, because of our values and behaviors um, being so different and so countercultural, there is this tendency in the world in which we live to forget who we are. For me, like, I know that I am in Christ, and I know that my identity is wonderfully in Him. But isn't it easy at times when you're surrounded by wickedness, and you're surrounded by the darkness of this world, our identity can get muddled. It can, it, it can become lost in this broken world. My youngest son, Connor, who was on the drums this morning, uh, we made a decision to, to let him go last year uh, to start public school here at Central High School. Many good things about Central High School, but any public school in this day and age is going to be tough for a Christian student. When I, was a, when, when I was in high school, like it was tough. It was tough to walk in holiness, and I didn't always do the, the best job at that. But I'm telling you today with what our teenagers are dealing with, friends, it is on a whole new level. The pervasive sexuality and sensuality and, and loose living and rebellion and, and hatred and all of these things they just fill our school system. And so I drop Connor off at school every single morning, and I, I, I drop him off across the street, and I, I walk. I watch him walk across, and I just say a prayer for him as he goes, God, help him today remember who he is. And as I watch Connor, before, right before he gets out of the car, I've said to him on a few occasions, Connor, don't let your identity get lost in this school. You are here for the glory of Christ. I know it's tough to walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord when hardly anybody else is doing it. I get it. But son, by the power of the Spirit, remember who you are. It's difficult. In our text today, Peter does this tremendous thing. He reminds us of that very thing, who we are in Christ. And so I want to quickly look at three things out of this text. Number one, I want to look at who Jesus is. Number two, I want to consider in light of who Jesus is, who we are as Christians. And thirdly, consequently, based on who we are, what's the ministry that we are called to? Are you with me? So number one, if you're taking notes, let's try to look at this text and Talk about who Jesus is. That's a good place to start always, isn't it? Look at verses 4 and 5, if you would, again. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. As you come to Christ, verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter here uses an architectural metaphor to describe Christ and his church. This language that he's using here, we call it temple language. And that may not mean anything to you right now, but hang on, this is a glorious truth. This would have been very familiar language to these first century Christians. Peter is declaring that God is building his new temple. 
God is building His new temple. Let me take you on a brief journey through the entire Bible. All right, you ready? Set your watches. Here's one of the themes throughout the Bible that we see throughout the Bible. God created, if you go all the way back to Genesis, you'll remember God created humankind, man and woman, Adam and Eve, in His image and for His glory. We were created in the image of God. He created us to be able to know Him and commune with Him and fellowship with Him. It's so interesting. It's marvelous to think about this. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, the Lord was with them there. They got to walk in the garden with God, the manifest presence of God. How glorious that must have been. The earth, by God's design, was meant to be this, as it were, cosmic temple. All right, the earth was supposed to be a cosmic temple because a temple, if you will, is the meeting place between God and man. That's what a temple is. So the earth was meant to be a meeting place between God and man. uh, God commanded Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And as his image bearers, the plan was... I'm going to meet with you here. It's an incredible thought. So the earth was meant to be this cosmic temple of sort. When the human race rebelled, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it drastically changed our relationship with God, didn't it? And it impacted not just us, but the entirety of creation here on this earth. See, sin created a chasm between us and God. And so one of the great meta-narratives of the Bible is God's plan to restore fellowship between himself and the human race, between God and sinners. And this is his plan of redemption to restore, to, to reconcile us to himself. And it's throughout the pages of the Bible, this meta-narrative. Now, as you go on after the garden and you look at early on in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, after the fall, God's presence early in that Old Testament is episodic, meaning that he just appears here and there. He, he appears to people like Abraham for a moment and, and people like Jacob and so on. But then, you'll remember, in a more permanent sense, he dwells with his people Israel, first in the tabernacle and then in the temple. But you might remember, the manifest presence of God was in what we call the most holy place or the holy of holies. And not just anybody could go in the holy of holy, into the holy of holies. It was only the high priest who had access to that manifest presence of God. And as a matter of fact, that only happened one time a year. And that temple and that tabernacle, those served as as a place to where God and man met. It was used to reconcile God and man. Now, we do not have a physical temple anymore in Jerusalem. But here's what Peter tells us. God is actually building his new temple. And Christ is the foundation. He's the cornerstone. He is the foundation of the temple. 
Peter calls Jesus here a living stone. That's paradoxical, isn't it? Because we don't say that thing is really stone alive. What do we say? It's stone dead, much like us this morning, it seems, right? <laughs> Come on, wake up, church. Become stone alive, all right? So, yeah, we say something is stone dead, but here's what this means. Jesus has all the solidity of a stone. He is a rock-solid foundation. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. He is a firm foundation, but he is not dead. Oh, church, he's very alive, and this brings us back to his resurrection. As a matter of fact, if you'll go with me to John chapter 2, and in verse 19, Jesus says these words. He says, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. And the Jews said to him, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the Scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. So Jesus becomes the foundation of God's ultimate temple. And it is through him and only through him that broken people find reconciliation with God. A great writer and pastor by the name of Don Carson said this, that Jesus is the ultimate priest. He is the ultimate sacrifice. His flesh is the veil. And his shattered, broken body is the shattered, broken temple that raises on the third day to become the real meeting place between God and sinful people. Here's the great news, church. We don't have to go to a temple and through some mediator other than Christ to be able to experience reconciliation with God and God's presence. Oh, we have a, a final and ultimate mediator, Jesus Christ, God the Son, by whom we have access 24-7 to the Father. It's a glorious truth. He is the foundation of this new temple. Look quickly. I don't have time to completely unpack these verses, but go with me to verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a new sto a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Peter here is citing Isaiah 28, 16, showing that Christ is the fulfillment of these prophecies. He is precious. He is the ultimate treasure. He is the cornerstone of God's new temple. And it's, it is through him that sinners are reconciled to God. Verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word and they were destined as they were destined to do. So Peter now is bringing back more Old Testament. Psalm 118.22 and Isaiah 8.14 revealing that Jesus is the one. He is the stone that was rejected. He is the one that many rejected, but God raised him from the dead. And again, he's now the cornerstone of God's temple. This is imperative. God is building a temple. This is the place where heaven and earth meet, and Jesus is the foundation of that temple. Are you awake this morning? That's who Jesus is. 
Now let's talk about those who are in Christ. Who are we? This is glorious news. These first century Jews, or excuse me, Gentiles to whom Peter is writing, it seems are discouraged because of their surroundings. Do you ever get discouraged as a Christian in this world? I do. Because they feel like misfits. And it's tough, isn't it, to live in a place where we're surrounded by people who think quite differently and believe quite differently than we do and behave quite differently than we are supposed to behave. But you know what Peter does here? He reminds them of who they are and what their purpose is on the earth. Because we can get in this place, this is important, we can get to this place where we say, God, why don't you just take us away? And oh, that day's coming. But we can wonder why, what in the world God would have for us in this world. You know, I, I often think, going back to my son in this public high school, Lord, why, why, why did you lead us to, we feel he led us to put him in this school. I'll tell you why. Because there's a mission. The mission is no easy feat. But Peter reminds them and reminds us why we're all still here as believers. Look again at verses 4 and 5. You come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Let that just sink in. He says to them, you like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Now remember, Jesus is the living stone. This means that as believers, as we are united to Christ, you know what we become? We become like Christ. We become his image bearers. Remember, we were created, friends, in the image of God. But because of sin, that image has been marred. But through Christ, that ability to, to bear God's image by the power of God's Spirit has been redeemed. And you and I, are, are as Christians, can fulfill this purpose in the earth. So when Connor goes to Central High School, when your kids go to school, when you go to work, when you go to Walmart, God help us, you're to be his image bearer. Come on, somebody, right there in Walmart. We're to be his image bearers. Oh, what a, what a wonderful privilege this is. And then he says, you're being built up as this spiritual house. Guys, this is temple language. This would be such a radical teaching to first century Christians. Like, we don't understand the, the, the depths of the, the glory of this message. Because in, in that first century, everything revolved around the temple in, in Judaism, right? Everything was about the temple or the tabernacle. And God is saying, oh, now you, Christ is the cornerstone of my temple, but you're being built up as this spiritual house. The church, get this, we have become part of God's new temple, which means this, we're the place where heaven and earth meet. We become agents of God's presence to a broken world. I mean, we, we ought to have such a joyful service if we really understood this. As we come together, this is what we celebrate. That we are in Christ, reconciled to God, and 
We are God's, part of God's new temple. Now, there is a sense in which every individual Christian is a quote-unquote temple of the Holy Spirit. We get this language from 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. So there's a very real sense in which every one of us have within us, if we are in Christ, we have as individuals the presence of God. Are you with me? That's exciting. We take God's presence everywhere we go. So we are as individuals temples of the Spirit. But as John Piper said so well, talking about this text, he said this, quote, There is more of God to be known and enjoyed than anyone can know in isolation. End quote. This life, this Christian life, friends, is not meant to be lived alone. The phrase here about being built up as a spiritual house means that we are being fit together. When you look back at these ancient structures, many of the buildings would just be stone upon stone, but they were so precisely cut that they fit together like a, a glove, and you would put these stones together, and they would be essentially unmovable. What Peter is saying is, no, you're not just a, a temple of the Holy Spirit, but together God is fitting you with other church members together to be part of his new temple. Friends, there is a special presence and a special manifestation of God's Spirit that happens when we come together. What we just felt this morning we come together under the preaching of the Word of God and worshiping together. It's an incredible thing. You cannot experience this in isolation. I'm not saying you can't experience God on any measure, but there's a special manifestation of God's presence when we come together. I'm grateful for the uh, opportunity to be able to have the technology to be able to like live stream. Right now we're live streaming our service. So that means that people who are ill or people who are traveling can still listen. And that's, a, that's great. We, we, we're grateful for that technology. But let me tell you what scares me about the technology. Perhaps there are some, and we know this to be the case, that say, well, I don't really need to go to church this morning. I could, but I'm just going to stay home, and I'll just either listen to it on, uh, you know, live stream, or I'll go back later and listen to the message. And if you stay home, I hope you do those things. But can I just tell you... That is no replacement for being here. You will not have the same experience when you go back and listen to a message as you would if you were here. We are meant to come together physically, one location, and worship God. This life is not meant to be lived in isolation. No, that's not a popular message today. If you're here at home right now and you're able to get to church and you're listening to our live stream, let me compel you. Get to church. Get to church. You need us, and we need you. We need you. So as a local church, we're being fit together. I hope this morning that that raises your affections for the church. I know the church is not perfect. I know we all have issues. But this is meant to be God's temple, and we need to treat it as such. We ought to come in with great joy. We ought to honor one another, realizing that, listen, you're a part of this as much as I am. We are all stones in this same, these same walls, in this same structure. 
We are God's place in the world. Isn't that cool? We are God's place in the world. It's not a temple in Jerusalem anymore. It's right here at Real Life Community Church. This is one of God's places in the world. Along with every other gospel preaching church in America and around the world today. I mean, think of this. Broken world out there, in here, God's place. And we're meant to take God's presence to them. We're, we're meant to be reconcilers as we point other people to Jesus Christ. And it takes all of us. Not only are we God's place in the world, but we function. This is incredible. We function as God's priests in the world. Do you know if you're a Christian, you are a priest? You're part of the priesthood? Not only are we God's place of habitation, but we're part of the holy priesthood. Every single believer. Jesus is the all-sufficient and the ultimate high priest. The ultimate mediator between God and his people. And now as we are united to Christ, just like we become a living stone with him, we become part of his royal priesthood. Oh, remember who you are, church. Remember your mission in this world. Here's what this means. We're not just a place that we sit back passively and watch God dwell and just, oh, this is so great, and just soak in his presence. Oh, there's a time for that. But you know what? We're an active part of his ministry. Every one of us. You have a purpose. You have a place in God's ministry. In the Old Testament temple system, it was priests who did the work of the ministry. What a privilege. You had to be of a certain tribe. But you don't have to be a Levite in the new church. You don't have to be a descendant of Aaron. No. You just have to be in Christ. In the Old Testament, if you were not a priest, get this, you could not offer your own sacrifices to God. You could die for that. It was a serious offense. Only the priests could offer these certain sacrifices. But now as we are all in Christ, we are part of Christ's royal priesthood. And here's what we get. We get the privilege of being able to offer sacrifices to God that are acceptable to Him. Let's talk about our ministry. Here's what our ministry looks like in light of this. Look at verse 5 again. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And here's why. Watch this. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, the sacrifices today, don't sleep on me during this, all right? The sacrifices today are not the killing of innocent animals. Please don't go rob your neighbor's cat and kill little Fluffy on the altar to atone for your sin. It won't work. And we'll get some people mad about us, all right? We'll, we'll be called a cult and everything. Well, Pastor Chris said we offer sacrifices now. No, don't kill Fluffy, all right? We need T-shirts that say that. Somebody get on that. That's a great marketing plan right there. And then you can tell them about Jesus, our ultimate sacrifice, right? I, I kind of like that. My mind's just like going in this, you know, rabbit trail now. And through Christ, we are able to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable unto God. What are these spiritual sacrifices? What is it as the people of God that we're to offer to God? Well, there are many things we could say. Let me give you at least three. Number one, we as Christians are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Romans 12, 1, Paul 
says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present your bodies not as a dead sacrifice. Okay, this is not a literal laying yourself on the altar. This is, but this is metaphorically, this is me giving myself fully to God, laying myself on the altar in that kind of metaphorical sense. This means that I believe uh, that, that we do everything. We do everything to the glory of God. You remember what the Apostle Paul said, whether you're eating or drinking, whatever you do, these are the two most base things in life. Do it all to the glory of God. So when you become a Christian, to sacrifice to God does not mean that you go quit your job and uh, live under a bridge and just pray all day long. You know what it means? That you stay at your job, and instead of just working for a paycheck, that you work now for the glory of God. It doesn't mean that you walk out on your family and say, well, I'm just going to travel now and go from church to church and just leave my family behind. No, it becomes your mission now is that, hey, my family is a means of glorifying God. Everything we do, whether eating or drinking, whatever we do, we do it to the glory and the praise of our God. We're dependent upon Him for it, and we thank Him in gratitude for it, and we do it to His glory. Your bodies are to be living sacrifices. Number two, we have the sacrifice of praise that I talked about earlier. Hebrews 13, 15 says this, Through Christ, then, let us continually... This isn't just a Sunday morning thing. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Now just think on that for a moment. What is praise? It's it's lips that acknowledge His name. I, I, I don't... This is not a hill that I'm willing to die on. This is not something that I know for sure. But... When we talk about the sacrifice of praise, we think, well, singing, that's not really a sacrifice. Saying something nice about God, that doesn't seem necessarily sacrificial. That's pretty easy. But I think it is actually a sacrifice. I was thinking just about this today. It hit me in early service when I was preaching this, that human nature at its core wants to be its own God. It wants the praise. It wants the glory. Apart from Christ, that's what we all want. We, we want to be our own master, right? We want, pe- we want to be recognized. We, we want people to tell us how great we are. We want to be known. We want to be, quote, unquote, successful, right? But as a Christian, you know what the sacrifice is? In everything you do, even when you do the kindest thing for somebody, you always point people beyond yourself. And to Jesus Christ. That's what it is. It's a sacrifice of praise. I am so grateful, beyond grateful, for the, the worship team that we have in this place. I just sit every week and just relish in God's gift to us. I want you to know, worship team, you're, you're a gift to this church. You, we're so grateful for you, every one of you, and every leader in this church, and every church member, let me say. But I want to talk about worship for a moment, because... We have some really talented musicians and some really talented singers. And let me tell you what we have to guard from when that's the case. This is difficult. All right, let's get real for a moment. It is easy when you have this level of talent 
for us to get hung up on who we are. And for people in our congregation and people who listen online to get caught up in what we have in people. To where all you hear about is how good we are, how good we are, how good we are. But you know the sacrifice of praise? Praise team, and, and I think you do this so well, and it's something we want you to continue to do. It's when you get up here and you point people beyond yourself to Jesus Christ and say, oh, this isn't about me. Listen, the same can happen with preachers. We're always to point people beyond this. Listen, I don't want people leaving going, what a singer. I don't want them leaving going, what a speaker. I want them leaving going, oh, what a savior. That's the goal. So we, that's a sacrifice of praise. We point people on to the glory of God. Number three, we have acts of love. This is our other spiritual sacrifice, acts of love. Do not neglect to do good. This is Hebrews uh, 13, 16. So we just read 15. This is verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Every one of us have three resources, time, talent, treasure. And any time you give those to others for the glory of God, not your own glory, not so you can say, look at me, look what I did, look how spiritual, look how good, look how generous. That is a sacrifice of praise. We had this, uh, one of our church members, he would have never posted this about himself, but somebody else posted it about him. They put a picture online. And this man from our church was sitting in front of a gas station on a cold night next to a homeless person, gave him uh, money to get food, and had prayer with him and encouraged him in the Lord. That's time and treasure given in one moment. Sitting next to somebody who many have passed by, maybe thrown some change to him. But the picture shows this man from our church sitting down next to him, Side by side saying, as to say, we're on the same level. I'm no better than you. This is an act of love. It is a sacrifice of praise. If you're a Christian, it is not an option for you to get involved in ministry. This is your spiritual duty, and yes, it is your spiritual privilege to offer sacrifices of praise that are a sweet aroma to heaven. We get to offer gifts and, and, and to, to our God, not in repayment. We could never repay him. But we get to offer these sacrifices to God, our creator. And there's nothing like giving a good gift to someone you love and having the God of heaven and earth who is in need of nothing go, oh, thank you. This is great. This is a sweet aroma to heaven. It's beautiful. Nick, if you would come in closing I want you to see that the church is God's temple and God's priesthood. But how do these things, these privileges become a reality in the life of a believer? And I want to just point you again to verse 4, the very first five words, as you come to him. That's it. You can't do this on your own. Now, we use this language a lot in the church. We always say, well, I came to Christ at this particular moment, or I came to Christ during this season of my life. And Peter takes up this language, and he says that when we come to Christ, that these things happen. Jesus calls and he invites men and women to come to him. 
In John 6, 35, he says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Oh, he bids us come to him. John 7, 37, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. It is this coming to Christ, which is by faith, that brings us into the family of God and initiates these privileges that come by virtue of being part of God's family. But our initial coming to Christ, just this one-time event, doesn't convey the total meaning of this Greek word, which has the idea of abiding in and communing with Christ. This isn't something we just look back to. This is a daily communing, abiding in Jesus. This is how we bear spiritual fruit, by abiding in Christ. If you haven't come to Christ in faith, if you're not a Christian, I just compel you today, I implore you today, would you believe upon Him? Would you repent of your sin? Know your purpose. Walk in your purpose that God has designed you for. It starts with coming to Jesus. Repent and believe the gospel in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Would you yield yourself to Him today? In closing, I'll just say it's difficult to live again amongst, by and large, secular people who don't know God. And it can be challenging as a believer in our culture because our culture is becoming more and more anti-Christian, militant against Christianity. And we feel as misfits. We feel as misfits, don't we? But friends, we're not still here by accident. You and I, we are called to be God's temple the meeting place between heaven and earth. A place where God can meet sinners as we point them on to Jesus Christ. With Christ as our cornerstone and Christ as our high priest, we're called to be His priesthood, an active part of the ministry. So let me just ask you these questions. questions. Are you living life with mission, O Christian? Or are you just working a job to make ends meet? living your life and then coming here on Sunday and maybe singing a couple songs? Are you living your life with intentionality? Are you living for the glory of God or are you living for your own glory? Do you take the praise for everything that happens to you? Or are you constantly pointing people to Jesus Christ? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.